six savage seasons all in a row. Six scary seasons for the beast to grow. Six wicked seasons to keep you up all night. Six nasty reasons for your wicked delight. Six wicked seasons that you thought was scary. Wait till season seven of the Wicked Library. <laughs> September 2016. Visit thewickedlibrary.com. From Society 13. Redefining podcasts. <laughs> Twitter and tweet. Come find us on Twitter at Victoria's Lit. Tweet tweet. Do you like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars. It helps others to find their way here too. I like gold stars. Can I have lots? Pretty please. Leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com Hi, I'm Brooke Wara, the writer for today's episode of The Lift, Dandelion Tea. If you enjoyed this story, you can find more of my work here at The Lift and also by searching Brooke Wara on Amazon.com. And of course, you can find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. shaking my shoulder. I can smell the booze on her unwashed skin. She's telling me I need to take my medication. She sounds desperate. She should. My mother has been dead a year. I push the memory of her slurred voice out of my mind and reach out for the whiskey bottle next to the bed with my eyes still closed. Nothing. I realize I am not in my bed. I am not even at home. Damn it. I had been drinking the night before. Drinking and... Other things. I don't want to open my eyes and see the light of day. See where my misadventures have led me this time. I lay there, slowly coming to my senses... 
trying in vain to retreat back into the dream world. I feel grit against my cheek. Gravel. I'm outside. A hazy memory of puking behind a dumpster while Lucas holds my hair back tries to surface, but I shove it down. I am cold. I feel a mist against my skin, like a heavy fog pregnant with rain. I smell vomit and motor oil. It's then I realize I don't hear a sound. No rush of cars, no clack-clack of skateboards, no sounds of the ocean rushing up on the beach of the peninsula, no merchants setting up their stands for the summer tourists. What I can hear are faint whispers, seemingly coming from no direction in particular. I can't make out what they are saying. Men and women with pleading voices, as soon as I begin to hear them, they stop. Where the hell am I? I open one heavy, creaky eyelid at a time. I see a building looming over me. My apartment building, I think, hopefully. But no. The windows are boarded. The brick is crumbling. There are weeds popping up through the pavement of the walk, determinedly seeking the sun that isn't there. I know it must be morning, but it is dark as night. A glow comes from somewhere, beyond the fog, but from where or what, I don't know. Beyond the building in front of me, I see nothing else through the mist. There are shadows moving through the fog, shadows moving about without owners. Before I can decipher their shapes, they fade away. I'm suddenly filled with panic. Bile rises up in my throat. What have I gotten myself into? I desperately search my mind for some scrap of memory in the blackout that I've just come out of. Just some clue as to where I am, how I got here. I look down at the marks in the crook of my elbow, little mewling mouths parched for mother's milk. We'd been shooting up. Lucas had scored it for almost nothing. A favor someone owed him. The last thing I remember after the dumpster, the booze evacuating my body, is him tying my arm outside St. Mary's. I remember looking up at the stained glass of the face of a weeping Christ before the needle slid under my skin. My eyelids fluttered, and then nothing more. I look at the building again. It shifts, wavers slightly, like watching a television screen that isn't coming in. I could have sworn at first sight there had been a gargoyle perched over the entrance, but on second glance, it isn't there. Are you lost? A little girl is in the doorway of the building. She is wearing a blue dress, the kind with the sleeves puffed out. Her curly blonde hair is in two pigtails. There is something about the way she is dressed, the style of her hair that I can't quite put my finger on. 
she seems wrong. Unnatural, even. I'm afraid of her. I shake my head. That's ridiculous. She is a child, and the only living thing it seems anywhere in sight. And I'm lost. Maybe she can help me. While I'm processing all these thoughts in my head, I am suddenly painfully aware that the only clothing I have on is a ratty old t-shirt advertising beer. I self-consciously tug it down around my hips, and the little girl giggles. (laughs) I recognize the shirt as my mother's. A shirt that, as a child, I wore to bed. I remember my mother, a slight woman, wrapping a belt around its middle and donning a pair of stilettos before heading to the bar. I haven't seen it in years. The little girl is watching me intently. I get the sense that she knows what I am thinking. Her face looks sad, as if she is remembering with me, being small and alone so many nights. I am lost, I sigh. My voice is ragged. It scrapes against my swollen tongue. I grab my head. God, I need water. Gallons of water. Would you like to come inside? I nod and walk barefooted into the building with her. Inside is even more run down than the outside. The walls are yellowed with decades of decay. Something is dripping down them. Like there has been a flood. Mold pulsates on every surface. There is a desk for guests to check in. A bell overgrown with rot. I reach out and tap it, and the ding is jarring. Almost deafening in the silent vacuum. I jump, and the little girl giggles again. (laughs) Would you like to come upstairs? She asks. There is mischief in her eyes, but I nod again. I feel I have no other choice but to follow her. She tries to take my hand, but the coldness of her skin repulses me, and I pull my own away. I grab the ends of the t-shirt again and tug it down, avoiding her gaze. She shrugs and leads me to an elevator. It's an old lift, the kind you usually see in the service entrances of buildings. Trying to make sense of my surroundings, I decide I must be in the historical district. I'm not far from home, I tell myself. She'll take me to her parents, and they'll have a phone, and I'll call Lucas, and he'll come get me. In the back of my mind, I know that Lucas is sleeping off his own toxicity somewhere and won't be troubled to rescue me, but I hold fast to the thought anyway. The metal grate, ornately decorated, slides open with a cheerful ding. The lift itself seems out of place in this building. It somehow avoided the decay that has consumed everything else surrounding it. The tiles inside are pristine and not cracked like the tiles in the lobby. There is a velvet chair in the corner for an operator who isn't there. Irrationally, I think, I don't want to sit in that chair. The hair on my arms is standing on end. 
I step inside, and the gate whooshes closed behind me. Immediately, I want to get off. I turn to the little girl, Victoria. Somehow I know her name, but I can't remember if she's told me. Her face is calm, and I try to force mine to mirror it. Do you have any candy? She asks. What? I look down at my dirty t-shirt. Do you have any candy? She asks again, little alabaster palm held out, upturned toward me, waiting to be filled. Her fingernails are clean, delicate little ovals, tinged with blue. I stammer, No? I, I don't have any candy. Sorry. She puts on a pouty face. Well, what else do you have? I'm afraid she's going to throw a temper tantrum. Her face is odd, almost like a mask. That sweet, angelic front is about to crumple into something cruel. I search my mind desperately for something to give her. On my finger is a blue plastic ring Lucas pilfered for me from a quarter machine. I smile at the memory. He smashed it open, and we spent the rest of the day selling the cheap baubles for a buck apiece to kids on the beach until we had enough for several pitchers at the bar. I can give you this, I say, and slide the ring off my grimy finger. She snatches it out of my hand, and again I feel the unnatural coldness of her skin and shudder. She examines it carefully, like a jeweler, and then nods and slips it onto her own finger. It is too big for her and spins around while she flicks it with her thumb. I've become aware that we've been on this elevator for quite some time. How many stories is this building anyway? And where is she taking me? The button for the fifth floor lights up as we pass. Something on the other side of the grate catches my eye. Something impossible. Something that fills me with both a sense of overwhelming longing and dread. I throw myself against the doors of the lift and begin slapping the panel with my open palm, trying to stop the elevator from ascending. That was my mother! I yell. Victoria doesn't look up at me, but continues toying with the ring on her finger and says only, That's not your floor. I don't hesitate to think about the implications of what she is saying. I only know that I saw my mother, dead a year now, wandering the halls of the fifth floor. She had looked straight at the lift, but didn't seem to see me. Or, if she did, she didn't recognize me. Probably drunk, I think bitterness rising in my throat like bile. Through the grate, in between floors, another scene appears to me. I'm staring at myself, at six years old, wearing the same greasy t-shirt as I am now. I am sitting with my knees tucked into the shirt, in the middle of a slough, reeds all around me. It is night. I am shivering and crying out for my mother, she had dropped me off there after a particularly hallucinogenic drunk, convinced I was a changeling, 
and left me there in the muck of the swamp until nearly daylight, when my father had finally gotten out of her where I was and had come and scooped me up. I had begged him to take me home with him, to his new cozy house with Charlene and the new baby, but instead he had taken me home to her. At least on holiday with mother, I could count on her putting on old records and pouring us both drinks and starting a proper row. I grew to hate my father's passivity, the lack of expression on his face no matter how I tried to goad him into a reaction with my boyfriends and purple track marks on my malnourished arms. The last time I was invited to his home was Christmas when I was 15. I lit their Christmas tree on fire. I was never asked back again. It is too much. Seeing these scenes of my childhood like a deck of cards being flipped through my mind. I can't look away, but if I have to see any more, I'm afraid my mind will snap. Make it stop! I scream. Victoria says nothing, but looks at me with a blank stare I can't read into. A look of apathy on her face, as if she's dissecting some small animal and is extracting its heart with a jaded curiosity. Her response is much sweeter than I anticipated, nearly sympathetic. It'll be all over soon, Virginia. You're only seeing what you want to see. Don't you know? I ask. Don't you know the things I've done to not have to see these things ever again? Don't you know? I fold in on myself and fall to the floor of the lift, sobbing. It seems it goes up and up for years, forever. It makes a clacking noise like a speeding train. I'm in hell, I think. Victoria giggles, but again it is a sympathetic sound, like a mother shushing an irate child. This is not hell, Virginia. A shadow passes over her face, and again her lip protrudes in a pout. Is it so terrible here? I've been here so long. I suddenly know why her appearance and demeanor are so unnatural. The clothes she has on are at least a hundred years old. When she was leading me into the building, onto the lift, she skipped about as if this were a palace and not a dilapidated wreckage. When she looks around, she doesn't see the slime-covered walls as I see them. She sees gilded wallpaper. Does she hear the pleading whispers of the ghosts in this place, I wonder? Or does she hear a waltz crackling over the loudspeakers? Was this... I began to timidly ask her if this is the place she lived or died. She shoots me a fiery look and I think better of it and close my mouth, swallowing my question. It slides like a rock down my throat and sticks there. I realize the lift has stopped moving. Victoria reaches her hand out to me. Come. This time I take her hand. I stand with her help, and we exit the lift and enter the sixth floor. Again, the building before me wavers in my vision as if it is shifting shape. 
I can't look directly at it and close my eyes. When I open them, we are standing in a void of darkness. I look imploringly at Victoria. I am ready to accept whatever she has to say to me. She is holding a music box. A light glows from within it. I can't explain why, but I am afraid to look into that light. Has she been holding this the whole time? I can't recall. That veneer is slipping again. I still see the little girl before me, but also something else underneath her skin. Something ancient and wise there. It is terrifying and beautiful. When she finally speaks, the ancient thing speaks with her simultaneously. Its voice echoes in the inky blackness around us. From far away, there is an eerie humming. Something else is on its way toward us. Virginia, you must choose. She turns the crank on the music box. Choose what? I shout to her over the hum that is growing to a din. It is as if we are standing in a storm, a hurricane of all the noises of my life. The chaos of my addiction in a symphony that swirls around us. With a growing sense of dread, I know what has brought me here, and it is not my overdose behind a dumpster in a churchyard. You must choose life or death, she says. Her voice, or rather, voices, are sad when she says this. The music box tinkles. But how, Victoria? I don't understand, I plead. The sound of my whining sickens me. She points a finger at the needle marks inside my arms. You can't run away from the ghost that is haunting you. My mother. I cringe thinking of all the sleepless, drug-induced nights wrapped up in a blanket in the corner of my studio apartment, rocking back and forth with my eyes squeezed shut and my hands over my ears, screaming in terror about a ghost only I could see. Lucas hated me those nights, but then Lucas never seemed to like me much other times either, I admit to myself for the first time. Victoria's gone, and I'm standing in the darkness alone. The terrible humming has stopped. The air is filled with static, and shapes begin to take form in the shadows. I'm standing in the bathroom of my mother's house, our home we shared together. The floor is covered in water tainted pink with her blood from her open wrists. She lays in the bathtub, the water running, overflowing onto the tile. I am there with her, sliding around on the floor as I scramble through her blood and try to drag her out. She is batting me away, sobbing, all her regret, the nightmare of her own addiction written across her crumpled face. Help me, she had begged. Help me, Virginia. And I had known what she wanted, resolutely, as if in a trance. I had crossed the bathroom to the medicine cabinet, 
taken out her sleeping pills. The ones that, as I was growing up, had taken her away from this world. Away from me. For sometimes days on end. I poured them out onto my hand. Filled the little plastic cup next to the sink. The one shaped like a pig that I had painted for her in second grade and brought the instrument of my mother's death to her there in the bloody bathroom of my childhood home. I had helped her die. And then I hated her for dying. Victoria's back and her hand slips into mine. She's no longer cold. Her skin is warm and dry and comforting against my own. I can smell lilacs. The darkness is gone. We are standing together in a yard overgrown with weeds. A mother and child are sitting together at a plastic picnic table. The child is throwing dandelion flowers into a play tea set and filling dingy wine glasses with the concoction, offering one glass to her mother who takes it daintily, as if they are at a proper tea party. The mother is braiding crowns out of the yellow flowers and placing one on herself and one on the child. They are both wearing paisley dresses. They are laughing. The mother sneaks a little vodka out of a flask into her dandelion tea. The little girl is telling a story requiring many enthusiastic gestures and facial expressions. Her mother watches intently, completely engrossed in her child. You were happy that day, I say, smiling at the memory. Victoria says nothing, but squeezes my hand. The images whirl away, and we are back on the sixth floor. It looks like a proper hotel now. She holds the music box in front of me. The eerie green light is gone, and it is just a simple music box again. Sometimes things are just scarier, in the dark. And I understand what she is saying to me. I think about the darkness I have found in the bottom of an endless sea of bottles and nod. There is a room here for you, if that is what you choose. If you cannot go back, you can stay here, with your mother's ghost. She will not know you, she will not speak to you. Hers was a crime of narcissism, and she has chosen it, forever. I choke back a sob. Or you can leave this place. You can go back without her. You can let her go now, Virginia. You can choose to go home and leave all of this behind you and begin a new life. I look at her upturned face and back again to the music box in her hand. I reach out and turn the dial. A sweet and strange tinkling song fills the air. Before I can say, Thank you, Victoria, there is nothingness, and then... When I wake behind the dumpster, Lucas is gone as I knew he would be. I can hear the vendors haggling the prices of fish with the summer tourists. My head aches from the hangover, and I raise my hands to shield my eyes from the light of day. Did I think I would wake in a field of roses? My own bed, 
somehow miraculously free of all the damage I had done to myself the night before. The last year? My hair hangs in sweaty ringlets, still reeking of vomit. A rat scurries across my sneaker. I jump up and immediately crash into a man who has been rummaging through the dumpster for cans. Whoa, whoa. He chuckles and sets me upright. He is covered in filth and stinks of garbage, but his laugh is hearty and his eyes are kind. He squints at me a little suspiciously, but it seems more playful than genuine weariness. His face is lined with deep wrinkles. His long beard is gray and full of leaves. Name's Bear. He barks at me. Oh, um, um, Virginia. I stammer. Well, I suppose you're headed to the mission for breakfast. He gestures toward the basement of the church where people are milling about waiting for cups of hot stew. He hands me a tin mug from a knapsack on his shoulder and smiles. Now that we're on a first-name basis, would you care to accompany me for a hot meal, Miss Virginia? I can't remember the last time someone spoke to me this way. I can't help but return his hopeful smile. Yes, I say, running my hands down the front of my shirt. I'm eating for two now. Thank you to everyone who took the time to rate and review the show since our last episode. As always, since you took the time to rate and review the show, we want to take a minute to read the reviews and say thank you. If you'd like to hear your own review read here, you can head on over to itunes.victoriaslift.com and leave us one, and we'll definitely read it in the show. We've had eight reviews since our last show. I'm stunned. I... Thank you to everyone so much for taking the time to listen to the show and also for taking the time to navigate to iTunes and put a rating and review in there. It means a lot to us. First up, we have Toby T. McGrew. Awesome podcast. I live for this stuff. Another one by Grulig690. I found this podcast about a week ago. It captured my attention and imagination almost immediately. I listened to all that I can find, and the lift is now one of my favorites. It's well-written and well-produced. I have already binged through all the previous episodes and look forward to see what Victoria gets involved with next. The next one, by B. At. I found this podcast through Chilling Tales, another awesome listen if you haven't come across it. Got immediately hooked with the spooky building, wibbly-wobby, timey-wimey stuff, and of course, the ever-delightful Victoria. Working late and listening to the lift, I can't help wishing one of my elevator trips ends up being more eventful. Then we have one from Ricer Boy Ghost. I love this podcast. It has become something I look forward to getting. It keeps you wanting more. The host is great. I hope you keep up the great work, and I'm so glad I found this podcast. 
I hope to one day turn around and see the lift behind me. The more I learn about the lift, the more I want to know. I can't wait to hear what will happen next. It's a great ride. If you love horror, look no more. Drama, spooky, scary, it's all there. Thanks from Georgia, USA. Next up by Disney Mansion Fan. The format of this podcast reminds me of the Twilight Zone or Night Gallery. We have a lovely little host in Victoria. The lift is all about choices, and this little gem might be the best choice for you. Each episode is a full story, some spooky, some thought-provoking, always entertaining. I am fairly certain should I ever find myself in England, I'll be all about using the stairs and avoiding cute little blonde girls. Next up, Snoof80. I ate up every available episode and am now impatiently waiting for more. Victoria is delectably evil and at the same time benevolent, always hoping the right choice will be made. I love this podcast. Keep the episodes coming. And last, still a Twins fan. I can't put into words what I felt listening to the first few minutes of the pilot episode. Haunting and almost dizzying to listen to the sound. And voice acting is absolutely amazing. This podcast needs much more attention. Well, I'm excited to have attention from all eight of you who took the time to rate and review the show and everybody else who listens. Thank you again so much. Today's episode featured a story by Brooke Wara, Dandelion Tea. If you'd like more information on Brooke and her work, you can find her on Facebook, Smashwords, Goodreads, Amazon, and you can follow her on Twitter at Brooke Wara. Artwork for today's show was created by Maddie Von Stark. If you'd like more information on Maddie and her work, you can find her on Amazon, Facebook, and you can follow her on Twitter at Maddie Von Stark. This episode was scored by Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. Today's narrator was Cynthia Lohman. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com, S1E16. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13. Follow the show on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitesi of We Talk of Dreams. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortic. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music director, Nico Vitesi. Art director, Stephen Matico. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production.
societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bumble, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.